Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. And those who are going to Little Worship uh, can be dismissed at this time. And if you're staying in here, I invite you to open your Bibles or just right there in your bulletin, uh, Luke 19. You'll see that, hey guys, uh, we're skipping just a little bit. Uh, we're going to come back to the triumphal entry and then Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. We'll come back to that around uh, Easter time, but I promise you we'll still be in Luke uh, come Easter. So we're just going to come back to that passage. But for now, we're going to skip ahead and Jesus is in Jerusalem. So uh, during... Uh, during college, I worked two summers on a pig farm, and it was like me, and it was one other employee who was kind of my boss, uh, and, and like thousands of pigs for just the whole summer. It was just us. And the owner of the pig farm lived in like the next county over, and, and I, I literally only saw him one time over the course of two entire summers. Um, and so you can imagine what happened. You know, the owner left. He left us with instructions on how he wanted us to tend the farm, but when leadership is absent, you know the Bible verse about people perishing, what, what people perish with lack of vision, right? Well, we perished uh, without his vision. Uh, we started doing things a little different. You know, to, to our owner, it was super important that we not only obviously took care of the hogs, but we kept the farm looking in immaculate condition, which to him meant... <laughs> Uh, regularly weed eating uh, around this like massive fence that surrounded the entire farm okay and but we still did our job we made our boss lots of money we just didn't have time to weed eat that fence every single week like that would be like all we would do is just be on that weed eater and so like straight out of a biblical parable <laughs> one day out of the blue our owner showed up right and uh, now he didn't turn over tables uh, but he did take my boss back into the office, and, and they did have a come-to-Jesus uh, meeting. And he came in, and he restored the vision. He restored the culture that he wanted for the farm, which apparently for us meant a lot more Roundup and a whole lot more uh, weed-eating. So Now, and look, we could have argued, and my boss probably tried to, of, of why we were doing what we were doing and why it's just we just can't do that. But the reality was, I mean, it was his farm. Uh, which meant he had every right to come in and establish the culture of the farm. Uh, and, and we had strayed from his, from his way. Okay. Well, if that's the case on a, a pig farm, I, how much more so is that the case when it comes to worship? Right? That in the Old Testament, it was God who clearly established the vision, like the, the culture of worship through the tabernacle and the temple system, God established that, but over time, the priest, and likely for practical reasons, they started changing a few things, and so the temple gradually swayed a little bit away from God's way. Well, Balakai prophesied that one day, suddenly, uh, kind of like our boss suddenly appeared, suddenly the Lord was going to come and show up in the temple. And like refiner's fire, he was going to purify and reestablish his vision, his way. And so this morning we come to Luke's uh, recording of the fulfillment of that prophecy, uh, which brings us to God's word. Luke 19, 45 through 48. And Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, 
saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And Jesus was teaching daily in the temple. Now the chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy Jesus, but they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. This is God's word. Um, so last week, uh, last week, one of our visitors asked me, I, I love these questions, um, as they're kind of introducing, the, they asked, so what are the problem areas of Westminster? <laughs> like, what are Westminster's issues? And it's one of those things, it's a great question, like, what if Jesus just showed up here one Sunday morning? Um, what, what might happen? What, what might Jesus see? And I don't know if, if you're anything like me, but sometimes I like go to, well, I don't sleep, but I, I, I try to sleep sometimes thinking about these types of things. Like, what would happen if Jesus just showed up? Well, our passage this morning gives us a pretty clear picture of what happened, at least on one occasion. 2,000 years ago, Jesus walked into the temple, into this place of worship, and he made just a beeline to the, the problem areas. Uh, but before we walk through those areas, Quick note, look, in today's world is, is a world that is full of church growth schemes. They've got a scheme for everything. And you've got to have top-notch music and a top-notch kids' ministry. You've got to have a relevant youth ministry. You've got to have a dynamic women's ministry. And somehow you've got to, don't forget about the men, right? And, and it's, it's programs and nickels and noses. And why are you not entertained? And why are you not growing? Okay, there's that. And then there's this passage where Jesus came into his father's house and he drove out all the fluff, like all that stuff that didn't need to be there to begin with. And without all the religious noise, just for a few days until his crucifixion, the temple once again became a place of prayer. And you know what drew people in and caused revival in the temple? It, it wasn't programs. And it wasn't hooping and hollering. But revival came through Jesus. It was all about Jesus. It came through Jesus and his word. Uh, I love at the end, all the people were hanging on his words. I love that because it's, it's a reminder that revival comes and God's, God builds his church through ordinary means of grace. It's things like reading the word and preaching or, or gospel-centered preaching and prayer and fellowship. What we're looking at this passage and then others relate it to it in the Gospels. When Jesus showed up in the temple, um, we, we see two things. This is what happened when Jesus showed up. Um, first, Jesus revealed the problem, some big, big problems. And then second, Jesus, throughout the Gospel, makes this stunning proclamation about the temple. So problem, proclamation. First, we've got to talk about the problems. You know, in, in the Gospels, we find that when Jesus showed up in the temple, it wasn't so much a place of prayer as it was a place of commerce, a lot of buying and selling. And, and so Jesus drove out the sellers and the buyers. And Matthew even notes that he overturned the tables of the money changers, and then he kicked over the seats of those who sold pigeons. Have, have you all ever seen somebody come in someplace and, like, literally kick over tables? Have you ever seen this? I know some of y'all who do travel ball, y'all have seen some dads do some crazy stuff uh, at tournaments, right? Um, it's quite the scene kicking over chairs, kicking over tables. And, you know, many writers have said that this is a direct condemnation of commerce in the church, right? 
that of selling religious goods for profit. That's just, oh. But I don't know if that's, Jesus wasn't directly condemning that. And, and that just in and of itself is not what caused him to just hulk out in righteous anger. You know, these, these people, some of them on one hand were providing a helpful service, right? They were trying to serve the worshipers. Because remember during this time, there was a temple tax, which meant every single person that came to, to temple I had to pony up a half-shekel temple tax. And I think we've talked about this before. If, if those of you remember going to Chuck E. Cheese back before you could just like pay with your phone, but you actually needed tokens, um, you couldn't just use any old money to play games at Chuck E. Cheese. You would have to go in and get Chuck E. Cheese tokens, right? So you would take your hard-earned money with dead presidents on it, and then they would give you these little tokens with a mouse on it. And with those mouse tokens, you could then go and worship at Chuck E. Cheese, right? And, and so you would, same thing at the temple, especially during Passover, because you, during Passover you had people from all over the world coming with all sorts of different currencies, and a lot of those currencies and coins had idolatrous images on them. And so you got to the temple, and you needed to, to exchange your idolatrous coins for shekels. And so you could argue that the money changers, um, well, at least you know, aside from the ones who, like Ticketmaster, charged just exorbitant uh, processing transaction fees, um, most of them were providing a good and necessary service for the temple. Then the second issue here is, you know, Passover required people who were coming to worship to bring a sacrifice. And look, you could totally, like, kind of like kids who bring their own lunch to school, you can totally bring your own lunch. You could totally bring your own, but you'd run the risk of, of traveling the whole way with your spotless lamb or your spotless sacrifice only for it to become blemished on the journey. I mean, you, you could totally risk it. Or you could just show up at the temple and purchase one of their pre-approved sacrifices, right? It's kind of like those trampoline parks, you know, that, that everybody likes to go to now. Um, you know, those places where in order for you to get in and jump on their trampolines, you need these, a very particular type of sock, and you're totally welcome to bring your own socks from home. Totally can do that. Um, but you run the risk. There's no guarantee that the person who is signing you in will allow you in with those socks that you brought from home. But don't worry because the, the trampoline place has got you covered. Because you can, bear, you, you can buy a pair of their pre-approved socks, right? And sometimes I'm in there. I, I think trampoline parks are really just glorified sock companies, right? Um, that's what they're really selling you is that sock. Well, the temple had become a glorified, well, stock market, or stockyard, sorry. Uh, you know, records exist detailing thousands of livestock brought in and sold at different times. And, and to make things worse, you know, the temple was intended to be a place of prayer, but Jesus found it to be a home of organized crime. He called it a den of robbers, which means they were doing their thieving safely, uh, hidden in plain sight. And this is just a good principle. We can't forget that the, the reality that one of the best places for people to hide their sin is by doing religious work, right? It's, the church is one of the best places to hide sin. So by the way, history tells us that this comment that Jesus made about this place of an organized crime, it checks out, the Jewish historian Josephus in his writings had a nickname for the high priest at the time, Ananias, who, by the way, he, he controlled all the, the money changers. He, he's the one who controlled the sellers in the temple. Josephus called him, how about this nickname, 
the great procurer of money. That was, that was Ananias. All right. Well, so those are problems, right? But there's also really a, a much deeper problem that Jesus is, is really ticked at. It wasn't so much the selling and the money changing as, as much as it was the location of said selling and money changing. So if, if you've seen a map of the temple, you're well aware that the temple itself was actually pretty small. It, only cons- it consisted of the Holy of Holies, the, um, the, the holy place, and then the court of the priest. And that's where the sacrifices were made. That was the temple. And then outside of the temple, there was a series of courts, concentric courts. First the court of Israel, then the court of the women, and then on the very, very far outside was the court of the Gentiles, open-air court. And so if you were a non-Jew, that was the only place you could go to pray and, and worship at the temple. And that also just so happened to be the location of a stockyard. Imagine that. Uh, temple worship had become so ingrown that they didn't, really consider, they didn't really consider the outsiders. As long as I could worship my way, I don't, I don't care what the outsiders do. And so that was a major problem because they had forgotten that from the very, very beginning, it was never only about Israel, that God told, he promised Abraham that he would be a blessing not only to his people but to the nations. As Paul said and Gary just read, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And so when they finished, uh, they built the first temple. Solomon, King Solomon is dedicating the temple in a prayer. And his prayer was a a dedication that reminded everyone that the temple was for everyone, that foreigners would gather and pray. And that's what Jesus was getting at. You know, he's quoting from Isaiah 56 about this house of prayer, which in the context of 56 is, my house shall be a, a house of prayer for all nations. He said, let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. Let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. In other words, Isaiah was saying that, like, listen to this, no one, neither by ancestry nor by defect, no one is to be excluded or hindered from coming to the Lord. Okay. Well, they would argue that, well, there is a place that the outsiders could come and taste and see that the Lord is good. Well, there was just one problem. It had been turned into a zoo. Well, worship is a big deal to Jesus. And he was angry because no one in the temple seemed to give two rips about the outsiders. You know, the Jews were only looking out for themselves. It was their little group. And worship was all about catering to their needs. And of all the things Jesus could have said, enough is enough, it was this. So Jesus is saying when God's people act in a way so as to imply that others are not welcome, Um, when when we put stumbling blocks up and hinder outsiders from coming in, that's not cool. And so I suppose we we could ask ourselves that question. If Jesus were to come here, would he find a congregation that keeps the first thing first? Or would he find some things that he'd need to kick over in, in order to allow authentic worship to come in? You know, could, could God, or could the people on the margins of Delta society um, who, who long to come to worship, could they come here and in Christ uh, feel like they belong? 
Well, Jesus removed the hindrances, and Matthew tells us that the people who previously weren't even allowed to come into the temple, they came in, and they sat under Jesus' teaching and were healed. I don't know about y'all, but that sounds like a really healthy church to me. It's not coming in our strength, but coming to Jesus with our lack, with, with our disabled hearts and our mess, and finding healing and rest in Jesus. And so look, we've been seeing a theme throughout the gospel here that, that so often the religious have no clue. If anything, their religious activity can often just be self-righteous activity. And yet it's the broken. It's those who have, whom all illusions that they, they have it are, are dashed. It's those who get it. And I really hope you see that when Jesus kicked over these tables, it's not like, oh, man, Jesus is so mean. He's, oh, he's so aggressive. No, like, he, he was doing this to turn the tables for you. Like, this is about you. Because what we see is Jesus' passion for the outsiders. He did this because he loves you. You know, because of the fall, even if you are a Delta, Delta blue blood, naturally we are all outsiders of the Father's love. Because of sin, we are the lame. And we are the blind and the foreigner who weren't even allowed in. And the only reason any of us have, have been saved is because Jesus became an outsider for us. You know, he was cast out of the city gates and crucified so that we could be brought in. And that's the really good news. That's why Jesus died to gather in lost sons and daughters like you, okay, and like me. And so he had you in mind as he's knocking over tables. Right, so, so having dealt with the problem, then throughout the Bible, we see that Jesus also made this really stunning proclamation, which is our second point in how we'll close. Hey, real quick, because of uh, the, the current situation that we find ourselves in the world, right, with Israel and Palestine. I think this point that Jesus makes in the Gospels is particularly relevant to our day. So there's this theological framework uh, or a, like a way of interpreting and understanding the Bible called dispensationalism. And um, this, this matters. And just to FYI, due to a, the very, very influential Schofield Reference Bible, that hit America in the 1940s. If you're alive today and you grew up Baptist, non-denom, Pentecostal, or any charismatic church, just any old just Bible church in America, this is likely what you were taught. Um, and chances are this is what you grew up believing to be true. And, and, and full disclosure, historically Christians who have read the Bible through a Reformed and, and more covenantal lens like Presbyterians typically have rejected dispensationalism outright, okay? Arguing that, that that is not at all what the Bible is teaching. And so if you've ever looked out on American Christianity and what some of the Christians are saying, and you've ever wondered, what in the world is going on? More than likely, dispensationalism is afoot, okay? And, and so I, I want to be careful because I know that we have people uh, in our congregation who hold to this theology, and I have good friends who hold to this. So I want to be uh, respectful, and I don't want to build a straw man. But as, as your pastor, 
I think that this is like super important, like so super important. Dispensationalism holds that, that the nation of Israel and the church are, are, are parallel but separate des- destinies before the Lord, okay? Uh, that the nation of Israel is God's chosen people. Y'all have probably heard that. It's God's chosen people. But ever since the church began at Pentecost, God has kind of paused his dealing with Israel, and he's now dealing with the church, which means all those Old Testament promises about the people of God They are for the the literal nation of Israel, not for the people of God in the church. So so these promises that we see in the Old Testament are on Paul's right now. We are in the church age. But at some point, Israel's going to come back online. And so anytime something starts happening in Israel, dispensationalists come out of the woodworks wondering if God may be starting to deal with Israel again which in their view means all those Old Testament prophecies about God's people, they're they're coming online. And so you hear things about Americans, people in Texas for some reason, um, sending red heifers to Israel, trying to to speed the process of fulfillment. Um, You hear pastors like Greg Locke, who just this week said, Israel ought to, quote, Israel ought to evacuate the hill and get a great big missile and blow up the dome of the rock so we can get the third temple rebuilt and usher in the coming of Jesus. Okay. Like we're likely going to hear a, a lot of this in, in the weeks to come. Um, just know that that is not what all Christians hold and historically what the majority of Christians have not held. Okay. Um, first, the New Testament seems to be pretty clear that the people of God do not belong to a particular nation, okay? Um, No, the people of God are those who are in Jesus Christ. We are a new people, right? And in Jesus, I know this is scandalous to some, but and in Jesus, those Old Testament promises, who some say is only to the literal nation of Israel, those Old Testament promises about God's people are yes and amen in Jesus, not to the nation of Israel, but to true Israel. Not all of Israel is Israel. The people of God today, his church. And so, yes, there's a remnant of Israel, uh, but they are only a remnant by faith in Jesus. And so we still love Israel. We still pray for Israel, just like we pray for any nation, uh, that God's people would be saved. Okay, so, so look, lots will be said by Christians about Jerusalem and about third temples and all this stuff and Bible timeline, just know that when you hear that, dispensationalism is afoot, okay? I hope I haven't offended any of y'all. Um, because I'm, I'm not knocking the temple, because really for over a thousand years, it was all about the temple. Remember, David died making plans for the temple. And the, the highlight of Solomon's reign was when the temple was dedicated. You know, the Babylonian exile is really all about getting back to Jerusalem so they can rebuild the temple. And the temple was established to represent the Garden of Eden, in which God and Adam and Eve were together in paradise. And so the temple was literally where heaven and earth met. It, it was where you get that taste of, of heaven the very dwelling place of God. However, the temple was always intended to be a sign, right? We see this in Hebrews. 
It was always intended to be a sign that pointed us to the fact that one day there was coming a time in which forgiveness and hope and God's presence would no longer be bound to a place, but it would be found in a person. You know, all the priest and all the blood and all the sacrifices pointed to that person. And Jesus made it like crystal clear that the temple ultimately pointed to him, to him. And so in John 2, Jesus said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews all looked at him and said, it took thousands of people working 46 years to build this thing and you're going to build it in three days? And then John lets us in on a little secret. John says that when Jesus said that, he wasn't talking about bricks and mortar, but he, was, he wasn't talking about a third temple. He was talking about himself. In other words, Jesus was proclaiming to be the true and better temple. And so that's why Jesus, 2,000 years ago, rolled into the temple and started acting like he owned the place. It's because not only did he own it, like he, he is it. And, and this is huge. Because Christianity was the only religion in the world to just up and just do away with the temple system, the sacrificial system. And if Jesus was not God, he would be crazy to do that because do you know how much money is in temple systems? You can make a lot of money in temples. And Jesus did it because in him, we don't need the temple. You know, to, to, to raise new temples is like a step backwards. Jesus shut the temple down because he knew all the blood of bulls and goats cannot ultimately atone for us. That there's only one sacrifice powerful enough to actually cleanse our souls. It's the blood of Jesus. So he shut it down so that we don't have to be addicted to our superstitions and trying to do things to be right with God anymore. Like He shut it down so that we would be left with just him, the one our souls truly need. Okay? And so, as Mr. Today, we don't have to stand in line, and we don't have to exchange money and buy a sacrifice. No, no, we can just go to Jesus, who is not only our true and better temple, but who is our true, better, and final sacrifice. And, you know, that is the gospel which is offered to you today. Amen? Amen. Well, let me pray for us. Father, we thank you uh, that 2,000 years ago, Jesus, you rode into town and you came into temple, uh, Lord, and you taught us, reminded us again of what worship is really all about. Uh, Father, we ask that you would continue to help sort out um, our own minds of how we view what, what's going on in Israel and how we can pray for that whole entire conflict. Um, and, Lord, still long that all of your people would be called in. Uh, so, Father, thank you uh, that you don't leave us alone. Uh, thank you for Jesus, our true and better sacrifice, um, true and better blood that cleanses. So, Lord, may we, we find freedom and rest and joy in Jesus. We ask this in Christ. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. 
If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.